the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I just love that so much, David. That was like... That might be one of my favorites. Yeah, well, that was like this really rare moment in the time-space dimension continuum where you and I both decided we equally like the same song, right? Yeah. That just doesn't happen very often. Usually... Hardly ever. Hardly ever. Usually, I'm shooting you down to build you up like a buttercup. What am I, Muhammad Ali? No, it's a song. You don't know it? Buttercup? Oh, why don't you yeah, build me yeah, up, Buttercup? Usually, yeah. yeah, usually. That's not a Christmas song! No. No, but that is such a... You and I were really right on the... What is it we like about it? The weird syncopation? A little bit, I think. Yeah, I kind of like... Well, I love all the new The instruments, wave. yeah. I like New Wave from the 80s, and that's definitely a British New Wave kind of a invasion. Yeah, you know, yeah. Second British invasion song. Are they... Were the waitresses British? Pretty sure. Were they? Yeah. They didn't have many hits, though, right? That's it. <laughs> Who's your favorite new wave band? Blondie? No. Um, I kind of like... Devo? You uh, liked Devo. A little bit of Joe Jackson, but... Was uh, Joe Jackson considered new wave? Maybe. It's, it's almost... He's almost like... Maybe. Uh, jazz revival. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Or... Um, uh, the Human League, I think. It's yeah, called. sure. Yes, the Human sure. League. Yeah, yeah. yeah. made me want to. Where the boys myself. wear more makeup no, than I, the girls. I wanted to just every time their stuff came. It's just awful. Let's go to the, some of our callers. I am Seth Leaps, and this is the second hour. It's December. We're a little, a little more cultural. Six. I was going to say cultural. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Steve is in Tempe. Hello, Steve. Hey, Seth. How's it going? Really well. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Yeah, um, like the like the music talk. I, you were a couple things just to start off. You were talking about women that had had a set of pipes. Um, Linda Ronstadt in her heyday was big time. Yeah, and I think you're right about a, that. I think you are right. There's about a song. That. I don't know why I don't. I always say, forget her, but I think you're right. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say there was a song that she did in the late '70s called "Lose Again." And yeah. if you have any doubt about what I'm talking to you about, listen to that. song. I will. I'm writing it down. I'm, I love this kind of stuff. "Lose Again." Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and she she brings it on that song. It was it was a it was a big time song back then. Tucson, Arizona, also, baby. Uh, yeah. Tucson, yep, and uh, she's still 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 with us, uh, seventy seven years old. So. She's she's changed her genre a lot. Last I saw, she was. I, first of all, I think she might be in ill health, but last I saw her doing performances, she was she was doing a lot of uh, Spanish American or Mexican American music, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, hmm. That was the genre she had focused on. By the way, can you tell me? Can anyone in the audience tell me why Mexican food is so popular? for Christmas and in December. I'm not making this up, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't. No one can tell no. me. No one can tell me why. Yeah. But that, uh, another um, 
speaking of Christmas, tell me there's not a more powerful Christmas song. And I know this is a slow, slow moving song as opposed to the, the more upbeat ones that you and David were talking about that you like, but most powerful Christmas song that I know is uh, Johnny Mathis, Oh Holy Night. Well, we love Oh Holy Night. I have a hard time with Johnny Mathis for no good reason except personal taste. It's powerful. Uh, you're right. It is. Yeah. Oh Holy yep. Night is powerful. I'm partial to the little drummer boy for powerful. Yeah. I think the story of the little drummer boy is powerful. That is too. But I, I reason I say that is uh, we, we had a Christmas party at the office this weekend, and uh, that was the first song that came over the— No kidding. Yeah. And uh, it—, it it uh, gets me choked up when I hear it for the first time during Christmas season. It's a it's a powerful song. It really is. Do you realize he's still alive? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and he and he recorded that song. He recorded that song in 1958, if you can believe it. Yeah, probably, probably. Before, yeah. yeah. All right. Before young David's but, parents but knew Seth, each you other. Were, yeah. Well, you were you were. Uh, uh, talking about the COVID thing and, and uh, Adam Carolla's comment, which I think is right on. You know, that guy's a pretty insightful guy. And uh, I'll tell you, one of the things about that that whole COVID um, time period, it um, it not, you know, it's like, like Carolla said, you know, it, it, it affected a lot of people. Um, but at the same time, it exposed a whole lot about our country and and uh, it lifted the veil of, of you know from um, the intentions of a whole lot of people and groups that um, that that just made it very clear that that um, people are willing to believe anything and have anything be taken away from them for the for the cause of, of security regardless of whether or not it's it's justified or not mm-hmm and that, to me, was the most uh, frightening thing about this whole about the the whole ordeal. And it's still going on too, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's you know the you know I, I I went in for a physical a couple weeks ago, and and they were still recommending that I get a get a, uh, a COVID vaccine. Yeah. And I said no. I said no. Yeah. I'm, I haven't I haven't gotten it. I never will get it. And uh, I don't know, if, Seth. If I, I don't know if you recall. I, I was in the hospital for twelve days with it. Yeah, I got hit really, really hard, and I've never been in the hospital in my life. It was the first time I, I would I, I was ever in the now. hospital. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, and there was no way I was putting anything related to that virus back in my body. You know, just especially after after uh, hearing uh, your. You know, Zudi Jasper was a big impact on. Yeah, on he was some good, and the Hallmans were great. Yeah, we did our the best to give common yeah. sense. Some people took it, some didn't, but we tried our best. We tried our best. Yeah, I mean, and I, he, I, he, I he, I've I've met you in person before, and yeah, and you know, to look at you, you're not someone who you know is in the vulnerable population for whatever reason. No. It, it did put you in the hospital, but you came out fine. And yeah, uh, that I, can happen with a bad flu here and there, obviously. And I don't mean to diminish it. If you are immunocompromised or if you are in a certain age category or if you have other comorbidities, then by all means, of course. But to treat yeah. all of us as if we are was absurd, just absurd. Exactly. And I was, I was in great shape when I, when I got it and, uh, and, and still am. I, I was able to pull up uh, – uh, thank God I was able to pull out of the – 
everything that I have. But I'll tell you, Seth, the, the two things, this was the thing that just uh, that I try to tell as many people as I can, if they ever get it in a bad way, like a lot of people did. I took the same drug combination they gave to President Trump when he got it, and I had the exact same results. I They gave me remdesivir. Oh, yeah. IV. The clon- the, what were they, the anticlonal, the, the clonal, monoclonal well, antibodies? No, yeah, right. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't get that. I got the remdesivir, okay. and I got uh, dexamethasone, which is a steroid. Okay. And they gave the exact same, two things to Trump, and like overnight, he was he was better, and so was I. I felt like I could have walked out of the hospital two days later. Oh, okay. I mean, it was it was that. Um, Why did impactful. they keep you so long? Um, just observation. Well, I had the IV thing was uh, was a five day process. Oh, I so see. I, I ha- see. Just to, okay. And then okay. And then they just you know. It, so the it treatment was so lasted new. longer than okay. You you felt immediate yeah. effects, but to get the full treatment, you had to maintain. I gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it it was a it was um, a really scary scary time leading up to that because I mean I, they put me in the hospital because of of, um, of early signs of pneumonia. The first thing they did was they gave me a chest X ray and they yeah. said they saw early signs of pneumonia and that's why they did it. Yeah. But uh, and, and uh, but thank God I wasn't on a respirator or anything like that. I, I, I um, yeah that turned out know, to be the wrong co- idea. Oh yeah. And, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a scary thing. And, um, I, I just, um, like I said, going back to what I was saying, uh, initially, I think the, our reaction to it and the, and the freedoms that we were willing to, uh, let other people take away from us because of the fear that they were putting into the, into the impact of that virus and everything else, that's the, that was the most scary. And Trump even called it himself. You know what? That, that, remember, that's he, interesting. You know, there's a, perhaps a divide between you and I or maybe even others in the audience and me on this. And I heard a lot about it. Believe me, I am empathetic to it, uh, more than empathetic to it. This loss of freedoms that everyone says was so scary. You bet. I get it. Awful. But I was actually more frightened by the way individuals treated each other irrespective of the way the government treated us. That freaked me out more. Maybe I'm wrong and maybe my priorities are wrong or misdirected here. I was more freaked out by the way individuals irrespective of the government were treating one another. You don't need a government to be decent or indecent. You want something a little fun? You know I need to do – we got what was it that interrupted our discussion of Henry Kissinger's death? Was it my trip to the border? I think it might have been the trip to the yes, border. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, if people want to hear about it, we did a three-hour special on it. It was last Thursday. Our big border yeah. blaster broadcast, yes. trademark in, incoming. Exactly <laughs> right. I, um, so we didn't really get a chance to. Co- I'll, we'll get Brandon t- Brandon Weikert's thoughts on it. But there was this part that, you know, so fun. Do you, do you know who Tina Louise is? Did you ever Junior? watch Gilligan's Island? Yeah, she, she yeah, She was Ginger. Yeah. She was the red Yeah, hair. okay, yeah. And she, I believe in the first season of Dallas, working off memory, I believe she was J.R. Ewing's secretary, if I'm not mistaken, circa 1979, 1980. Hmm. Anyway, she wrote a, uh, when Henry kissed, this was re-upped, um, the L.A. Times had a 1978 article making reference to the fact that Henry Kissinger had dated her. 
Oh. And um, she wrote a letter to the editor. You want me to read it? It's pretty funny. Yes, please read it. An actress has to keep her credits straight, even her romantic credits. Credits. I must clarify for the record my entwinement with Henry Kissinger alluded to October 21st. The story said, quote, done with Harvard and LBJ, Rockefeller and Nixon, done with Vietnam and Cambodia, no longer entwined with Tina Louise. Kissinger recently, dot, 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 close quote. She writes, while it is flattering to be associated with two presidents, two countries, a major university, and the leading politician philanthropist, I feel my real distinction is that I am one of the few actresses who was never entwined with Henry Kissinger. (laughs) One of the few who never was. Incidentally, I was fascinated with the use of the word entwined. It could only happen in the sports section. Amply endowed with a masochistic sense of humor, I have read gossip columns for years. I have read of people, including me, being involved, paired, duoed, even cosomely twosomed. But entwined is the most athletic and graphic romantic verb I've seen this side of Sidney Sheldon's bestsellers. It has, been, it has certain suggestions of bondage and overtones of page 42 of some classy kind of manual, none of which I am into since Hollywood actresses, rumor, and Henry Kissinger notwithstanding are all pure and simple and unworldly. <laughs> she wrote a letter to the LA Times. <laughs> They've been getting it wrong. They they can't. It's so true. My gosh, it is they will get any story and every story wrong. And now Tina Louise should no longer suffer from Gelman syndrome. You know what Gelman syndrome is? We've discussed it before. Michael Crichton created it. It's the idea that when you read a story in a newspaper or a magazine that you happen to either be in or know something about and you see something wrong in that story, and I guarantee you every story you ever read about you or that is something you know about, something about, you will see something wrong. It is the effect you take when you read that story, notice it, and then flip several pages to another story about something wholly unrelated and read it as if it's accurate or the gospel. When you know that they got that wrong, why do you have amnesia to assume that they got mm. the next thing right? Gelman amnesia. I see it all the time. I mean, I see the stories I know something about, or sometimes if whatever, I, you know, they, they mention a friend or a story I know more about than they do or something. You see it all the time. Why do you take anything they write as gospel or serious. You've got to fact-check everything, everything. And the funny thing about this is, this is the funniest thing. When Drudge first came on the scene, it would have been uh, 96, 97, somewhere around there. When did Monica Lewinsky break? 97? 97 uh, or 98? You might be right. Was it 98? Whatever it was. But he was, on, he was around for a couple, a year or two before that, I think, when he broke it. But when he came on the scene and became famous with the Luke... Lewinsky scandal. I think it was 97, David. Maybe late. I I think it was 97. In any event, um, all the major media complaints against him was he has no editors. There's no fact checkers. And the truth of the matter is they protesteth too much because they have, you know, they have layers and layers of editors and fact checkers. 
and they get it wrong all the time. I have been fact-checked when I used to do a lot more ghostwriting of op-eds and stuff for people. You know, I have been – we have – I have night nightmares of fact-checking over things we knew. I This was funny. This was so funny. I wasn't even ghostwriting this. This was – I was just helping Dr. Bennett publish a piece in the New York Times on education scores or something. Some new education test came out with some stats. I, and I – he wrote it. I was just helping him with the uh, editors because he was giving a speech or on a trip or something. So I, I was emailing back and forth with the editors at the New York Times. And um, he, being the former U.S. Secretary of Education, uh, had a sentence in there. Um, the so-and-so score is the equivalent of an F. I think it was the National Assessment of Education Progress scores, the NAEP, and I think it was a below basic. I think that's what we were talking about. Below basic scores in NAEP are the equivalent of a failure. And the editor said, I don't know how you can say that. And I said, because it's true is how we can say it. And she said, well, I'm going to have to verify this with someone at the Department of Education. <laughs> I said, how about from the Secretary of Education who wrote it? She goes, no, I need an expert. Yeah, this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with. No, I need an expert. You know what she meant by that? By the way, this is telling. The more I think about it, I hadn't thought. You see where she's going with this? I need an expert. She's that quiet bureaucrat who no one's heard of and no one knows, you know, who's part of the permanent Washington blob. I think that was a Dr. Bennettism too. The permanent blob in the bureaucracy, you know, versions of which you might now call deep state or whatever you want. But hard to think of Department of Education of deep state, but it is in a way and probably wrecks more harm on us than we uh, initially identify. But that's, you know, let me go to an expert. Okay, someone at the Department of Education who's been there 20 years and does nothing more than answer calls from the New York Times to complain about people who had the job they thought they deserved and never got or something, you know, resentful of resentful of uh, of other people. A- anyway, that that tells you almost everything you need to know. If you're a Republican appointee and cabinet secretary, you're not an expert. But if you're someone no one has ever heard of who is part of the bureaucracy of government, you are the expert. Now, yeah, this person probably was expert. By the way, coda to the story or conclusion to the story. We were right. And she said, OK, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Of course you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 45 minutes later. Yeah. They said, well, let it slide. Let it slide. It's a perfectly good fact. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 602-508-0960. Leonard's in Phoenix. Hello, Leonard. Hello, Seth. How are you? I share your love of this thing. I'm fine. How are you today? I'm fine. Thanks. I share your love of Leanne Rhine's singing. I think this song, Blue, is my favorite. But I also like the fact he's the only one that can sing a Patsy Cline song and do it at least as good as not <laughs> Yeah. But anyway, I wanted to let you know. She stole. She took a song. Then, I think she stole a song from Trisha Yearwood too, if I'm not mistaken. How do I yeah, live? How do I live? I think. I think it was for Trisha Yearwood, and she made it more popular or something. I think I'm right about that. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. But anyway, I wanted to get you up to date. You said you hadn't heard. 
about her in a long time. Yeah, I think I might have she said I hadn't heard from head. her, meaning she hasn't called yeah, in a while. She, oh, oh, okay. No, I'm kidding. I was kidding. Gonna say, kidding. She was yeah. just going to say she was just down at the Gila River Casino. Was she? Wild Horse Pass on Saturday, December the 2nd for a concert. You're kidding. This happens to us all the time. Mr. Bill will validate the fact that I will often say whatever happened to, haven't heard from them in a long time, and within a week or two, someone will say they were just at or are coming to one of these casino venues right near us. It happens a lot. Wow. You know, thank yeah, God for, by the way, these funny. casino venues. They have given musicians a lot of great outlets that otherwise wouldn't have had them, you know? Yeah, they did. I like Chris Isaac, too, and he mm-hmm. comes by in the casinos quite often. How many people can sit, though? I mean, Leanne Rimes would have sold out stadiums at one point, I think. Yeah. How many people can it's exactly, sit? Exactly. It is. A, it's not. I don't know. I'm going to say maybe like 100 or something. It's really? Five. She's playing to 100-person yeah. venues now? Wow. Yeah, I'm not sure how big that is, but, you know, it's a casino It's one, not so thousands. It's not thousands. Right. It's not cricket pavilion or whatever they call it. Yeah, 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 beveled or anything. It's not thousands. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. But anyway, keep up the good work. Hey, well, real quick question. No, Leonard, thanks, but real quick question. Can she still sing? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Like I said, I think that song, Blue, is my favorite. Yeah. She really has to belt it out on that one. Oh, she belts out a lot of them. I like the more upbeat stuff, (laughs) but, you know, I'm, 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 I'm in the... Spirit of the season, I'm just going to be polite and agree with you. <laughs> thank okay, you. Well, thank you, Leonard. God bless you. Very thanks. nice of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very, very much. Uh, someone just sent me a picture from the Babylon Bee of Bill Cosby with a Hamas headband saying Bill Cosby joins Hamas so feminists will stop condemning him for rape. This is a callback to the uh, Representative Jayapal interview with Dana Bash. Several news sources have gone to many, several of the most prominent women's rights organizations, National Organization for Women-type organizations, including them, to see if they'll condemn Representative Jayapal. They will not. They have not yet. They haven't. If it were said by anyone else who wasn't a member of the progressive movement, the condemnations, the calls for resignation, the calls for ouster would be legion, would be legion. It's an incredible thing Jayapal did. I played the audio earlier. If you believe it, she said about those, the, the, the Hamas rapes, if you believe it. And how awful they were, but how awful they were. However, really incredible, incredible, if you believe it. New York Post is writing, A beautiful woman with the face of an angel was raped by eight to ten Hamas terrorists in Israel on October 7th, while another tragic victim was beheaded with a shovel while trying to defend herself, one stricken survivor says. Yoni Sadon, a 39-year-old father of four, told the UK that he is still, the UK Sunday Times, he's still haunted by the horrific scenes he witnessed. When the Hamas fiend slaughtered at least 364 festival goers, including the gang-raped woman who was being raped so awfully she was begging to be killed. 
So they gave her her wish. Jayapal says, if you can believe it, this happens in war, she says. This happens. Happens in war. Look what you made them do. Unbelievable. We live in a really sick time. A really sick time. Do you know what makes that song good? Um, That it emphasizes all the horns other than Herb's. This isn't Herb Albert. It isn't? Who is it? (laughs) Gotcha! Yeah, he's probably playing that. Oh, I know who it is. Ray Anthony. You're not going to tell me Herb Alpert isn't in there. Maybe he's part of it. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. Is that how he got his start? I don't know. I know Ray Anthony goes back to like no, the 40s. Did, no, he didn't get his start there. Yeah. I wonder if he was influenced by that sound. That sounds... Would you look at the personnel of that record recording? When is that recording from? Uh, this is an anthology from 96. I'd have to go back even further because yeah. this probably is recorded in the 50s. Well, it wouldn't have been Herb Alpert, but let's find out. I'm not going to rest until I find out. That is to mean you're not going to rest until you find out. I I do that. I do that was what you meant. You yep. you can you can you know how to do this though. You know how to get personnel off an album. No, I don't. Oh, you don't? Yeah. Why don't you show me? Okay, <laughs> give me what I need to. I'll tell you. So you get the name of the That's song. Christmas trumpets. Yeah. And we wish you a merry Christmas by Ray Anthony. Okay, I'll have it for you before the hour is up. I'll have it for you. This is I Uno reversed him, folks. And it's called you, you did what you reversed. Me? I Uno reversed it. You know the game Uno. No. You asked yes, me yes. to go find the personnel. I said no. Why don't you go find the All personnel? Right. I'm going to show. I'm going to show you how it's done. The time was when the elite media class. This is from issues and insights. The media media class obsessed over how many and what books presidents read. But since President Joe Biden took office, they've completely lost interest. Do they know something we don't? Before Biden, the press loved to ask presidents about their favorite books. What's on their nightstand? What are they reading on vacation? It's always been treated as a sign of intelligence, a measure of sophistication. The Daily Beast once compared presidential reading habits to how historians ranked them as presidents. It reported, quote, the results are not surprising. The top-ranked presidents all made our list near the top of presidential readers, close quote. The press lavished praise on Barack Obama and Bill Clinton for their book reading habits. When Clinton was running in 1992, for example, the New York Times reported glowingly that he was an omnivorous reader. Obama's summer reading list was treated as front-page news. The fixation on presidents' literary habits usually comes out strongest when a Republican is president as a way to prove they're dumb. When George W. Bush was running for president, the San Francisco Chronicle reported that, quote, just how much Bush hits the books or doesn't has suddenly become a campaign issue, close quote. By the way, he was a voracious reader. Tevi said he and Karl Rove competed to see who could read more books, by the way. That's how much the press knew about George W. Bush's reading habits. Anyway, Trump was routinely attacked for his lack of interest in books. The Atlantic ran a lengthy piece. The President Who Doesn't Read was its title, and it began, quote, Trump's allergy to the written word and his reliance on oral communication have proven liabilities in office, close quote. The Washington Post ran a feature on who are the best-read presidents in history as a way to contrast Trump's reading habits with other presidents. The Hill ran a story with the snarky headline, quote, Trump's favorite books, his own. GQ said, quote, it is shocking that Donald Trump doesn't like books. The Columbia Journalism Review lamented, quote, the election of a president with zero interest in books. So out of curiosity, we looked for articles about Biden's reading habits and found almost nothing except articles in book lovers' websites. 
During the 2020 primaries, for example, Book Riot asked all the Democratic candidates to list their favorite books. Most of them responded. Even Kamala Harris was able to name five. But Biden? Quote, Biden's team never responded to numerous inquiries and follow-ups about his favorite, most influential books. There's very little readily available about Biden's favorite books, close quote. In 2021, Early Bird Books went on a quest to figure out which books are on the president's nightstand. It came up empty-handed. In the mainstream press, bupkis. That's despite the fact that reporters covering Biden have plenty of reason to ask. After all, he has spent more time on vacation than any president in history. You'd think someone would have pressed him to name a book he's reading on the beach. We have a good idea why they don't. They probably know that Biden doesn't read books because Biden is, what's the word for it? Their words, not mine. Stupid. It's a guy who once bragged that he was the only one in his law school on a full academic scholarship and ended in the top half of his class and also claimed that he graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school. PolitiFact later reported that Biden didn't get any academic scholarships, but a a partial needs-based one. He didn't graduate in the top half of his class, but in the bottom 10, and he didn't get three undergraduate degrees. Only an idiot would lie about something so easily checked as academic accomplishment. By the way, I think we've all gone to college here, not that that's that important, so we all would know this. Mr. Bill, young David, has anyone ever heard of an undergraduate with three degrees? Has anyone even uh, ever heard of that? I've heard of a double major. That's one very confused person. Uh, have you ever heard of a triple major? I've never seen a triple. And I, I, if anyone has ever heard of a triple undergraduate major, I'd like to know. I've never heard of it. You think they could take he, all of the, those? The elaborateness of his lie yeah, is what's so you amazing. Think you take all of those extra efforts and could have gotten the master's, could have uh, gotten the doctorate. That's kind of the point in yeah. a way, too. No, you're right. It is. You could have, but no one's done it, including him. He didn't do it either. But he just – that's the F. Scott Fitzgerald line from The Great Gatsby. I was amazed at the elaborateness of the lie. Hello, Travis. How are you, brother? You want to come in and say hello? No? You just work in the background? Okay. The issues and insights folks say, we know Biden can read. After all, he's always reading the instructions in the teleprompter, like make it clear and repeat the line. So here's a challenge for all those bulldog reporters who were once obsessed with presidential reading habits. If reading is fundamental to being a good president, start demanding that Biden name a book on his nightstand or one he's read in the past year or the past decade. We dare you. We should come up with a reading list for Joe Biden. That would be fun. Courtesy courtesy of your of your um, of your votaries in Phoenix. It's actually not a bad question we should do with Tevi Troy. What would be the best books you would want, a pre- the most important books you would want a presidential candidate or a president to read? Everyone would have an interesting list, it seems to me. I bet Tevi has an interesting list. You know who would have an interesting list? I'll tell you who would have a good list. Uh, Hugh Hewitt would have a good list because he's always asking you if you read a certain book or not. Like, I think for a while, The Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright was a test book for Hugh Hewitt. And I think I think he paired it with asking about whether Hiss was guilty, Alger Hiss was guilty. But that would be a book, Witness, the Whitaker Chambers book about his fight, 
his competition, his contest, that's the right word for it, his contest with Alger Hiss. I don't know if it's critical presidential reading anymore, but maybe it is something about communism, something about socialism is, something would be, maybe something by Roger Scruton, maybe Witness, maybe Witness. Is no one going to tell me why Mexican food is popular during Christmas? Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Be right back. I think it's possible. I, I'm still doing the research. I think it's possible that Herb Alpert was on that album. That album was recorded. That song was recorded in 1966, and Herb Alpert was already a star. Four years before that, I think by 1962, he had already done Lonely Bull, I think. I'm pretty sure about that. I'm pretty sure about that. And there weren't that many guys around doing that stuff. I, I think I might be on to something. I think I might be. Um, yeah, a friend of ours, Steve, suggests what books a president should read and gives us... Uh, the Bible, of course, yeah. I never count the Bible, and maybe it's a fault of mine. I I never do, because it's its own kind of book. It's not. It doesn't belong in a category of books, in a way. I don't know. It's hard to articulate. It's its own special kind of book. Do you want to turn your mic on? It is on. What, do you, what would you have to say about that? It's... I mean, you can't say... You can't say... Aristotle, Shake, maybe you can. I don't think you can. Hmm. You can't say Aristotle, Shakespeare, Salinger, Fitzgerald, God. Yeah, or the Bible. It's a, it's you a primary can't. It's source. its own. Well, yeah, it's it's the primary mm-hmm. primary. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't. I don't think you can say it. Is a book in that sense. But it begs an interest, raises an interesting question. Can you swear on something you haven't read? Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's why we don't swear on Bibles in courts much anymore. Isn't that true? I don't know why we don't. That's a good question. Yeah. But presidents still do. Why don't we but swear don't on Bible? you have to swear on a Bible. That's up to the president. They get to pick whatever text that they swear on. They all swear Wasn't on Wasn't it Bible. Jefferson that swore on a law book? No, but he had his own Bible, I believe. Who was the—I'm thinking of a distinctive story. Are you? Of a certain president that chose not to swear. You may be right, and I may be wrong. Law book. You may be. I thought he had his own Bible that he kind of had edited. Yeah. (laughs) So he's at a Bible then. Yeah, I think. Good question. All right, real quick. Real quick, Mary. Hi, Mary. Yes. Hi. Good evening. evening. Okay. A couple things. Uh, I'll throw in my my what I think they should read. If they can't read the whole Bible, read the Book of Proverbs. That's a good um, one. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. like it. Yeah, Cliff's notes. But the but the other thing as far as Mexican food at Christmas time, yeah, yeah. um I'll take a stab. Okay. Uh tamales yeah. is a tradition. Yeah. And um that would be after the corn harvest and then they they use filling and they put the um put it into the uh the corn husk and they bake it. Yeah. And there's a lot of uh great restaurants, Mexican restaurants that oh, offer that. Oh, it's hugely popular. Time. And yeah, it's yeah. hugely popular. I'm just why so popular? And Mexican food is just really good. Any time of the year. Yeah, it's good. I agree with you on that, Mary. Bless you, dear. Well, thank <laughs> you. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.